Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Managing and planning the national grid so that everyone has electricity when and where they need it. Thursday morning, the 22nd of December. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reid on LMFM. Climate change is the most pressing long-term global challenge of our time and Ireland is facing up to that challenge. I believe we shouldn't see climate action as a obligation or a burden. Rather, we should embrace it as an opportunity. Above all, it's about warmer homes, cleaner air, fewer journeys, less commuting time, more time with family and for leisure, more jobs and also regional development. The government has launched its climate action plan, outlining what steps to be taken before 2030 and why it is vitally important for us to take these steps. Climate change is real. It is a threat to our environment and biodiversity. And it's a threat to our health, our prosperity, our social cohesion and our very way of life. So every sector must reduce carbon emissions in electricity, energy, heating, industry, agriculture and of course transport. Transport 50% reduction, incredibly challenging. This plan aims to reinvent the way we think about getting from A to B. Transport's probably the most challenging because as the OECD report carried out earlier on this year says, we've been going in the wrong direction. By design, we've been creating a car-dependent system We now pivot and the whole state goes in a different direction. And on to what they call sustainable mobile transport systems. Where we avoid the need for necessary transport, where we use the lights of remote working and the new digital technologies we're rolling out across the country. So we have a 20% reduction in the volume of car miles, kilometres that are done. It's avoiding transport is the first step to bring us in the right direction. The three coalition party leaders launching the Climate Action Plan yesterday. Eamon Ryan, the Minister for the Environment, before him. Tánisht Michal Martin. And we heard first uh, from uh, the Taoiseach, Leo Radker. We're going to focus this morning on transport. And this plan says potentially effective measures include removing free workplace parking, increasing parking charges, the introduction of congestion and road user charging and increased fossil fuels. In order to to achieve all that, the plan also says uh, that greater prioritisation and reallocation of existing road space toward public transport and active travel will be a key supporting element. Let's speak uh, to Paddy Common, who's Head of Communications with AA Ireland and in studio with us uh, this morning. And uh, a very good morning to you and thank you indeed for joining us on uh, the programme today. This is, is highly as- aspirational. Is it achievable? It's it's highly aspirational, is right, and it's changed a lot even over the course of twenty, you know, twelve, twenty four months. What we're seeing here is look, the horse is bolted in a lot of ways. We are the victim of decades of poor public transport planning, and you know, shifts in government policy, which are now, you know, seeing uh, almost like a reactionary uh, policy being put out. 
basically, to summarise to the listeners, mm. this is, we want you out of the car, mm. we're going to try and our very level best to take you out of the car, and we're going to get you into public transport modes, which we kind of haven't really figured out yet. Mm. We have some plans in place, we think it's going to work, but we're really not sure. And we also have to convince you, as we go along, that this is a good idea. Is there a risk, though, that all it will achieve is that it'll make life more expensive for people? It'll make life more expensive, potentially. It could make getting around longer and harder and more difficult. And it it also has the potential to hit people who can least afford it and who are most affected by these changes Mm. uh, the most. I mean, look, if we're living in Dublin or the outskirts of Dublin or, or, or places which have developed Lewis trams, darts, cycle lanes already, the shift can happen for those people. Mm. If, if I live in Dublin, I can shift over to another another public transport mode if I want to, if I feel safe, which mm. is another key issue. But as it is now, we're asking people in rural areas who are totally poorly served, as we know by public transport, to now start looking to shift into these modes mm. It's a good ambition. I, I Even as someone in the Automobile Association, it, we agree with this. We think people should be using their cars for other things rather than sitting inanely in traffic. But you know, some of the execution, some of the numbers of this just look like they've been pulling numbers out of the sky. Especially, you know, we've talked before about the electric vehicle targets, which were a million. Now they sort of rode back on that to 875,000. Even that's not likely to happen by 2030. It's just not likely to happen because mm. the cars aren't there, the availability of the raw materials to make them isn't there, and they're expensive. Not mm. everyone can list can pay for these cars. Is, is, it even, is it even possible to put the infrastructure in, in place in such a, a short time frame? Because uh, if you talk about people in rural parts, all well and good saying, take the bus, take the train, but you've got to get to the bus or get to the train. Uh, And that is the starting point because you won't have anywhere to park or it'll be unaffordable in itself. Yeah, and it's the frequency as well. It's all very well saying we've put this bus route between Clarehead and Drogheda, but is it once an hour? Is it every Mm. half an hour? Is it going to suit a time for someone who works even two days a week in the city centre to be able to travel Mm. in and out but it also is a safety issue we do surveys in the AA about how people feel on public transport and there's you know 50% of the population don't feel you know safe necessarily on Mm. public transport lots of women don't feel safe at night time which is you know another societal issue but they don't want to be on there for other reasons not just environmental reasons Mm. because they don't actually feel safe yeah yeah well you get to the uh, train station somehow uh, you certainly can't park there under these plans. How, what's going to happen with the car parks at train stations? Are, are they going to be closed down or, or are they going to be made much bigger so that people can take the train? I think the parking at train stations is, uh, well, it's also expensive anyway, mm. but uh, that doesn't seem to be really what they're aiming at. It's, it's public sector workers, so they mm. might start hating nurses and, and other people who are the you know the ones who aren't paid enough yeah. and work horrendous and unsocial hours. They might start taking away or are charging extra for parking at those areas, which is mm. just entirely the wrong way to go. Now, if we had an ideal public transport system and it was safe, mm. I think that would be a great situation to be. But just these numbers, if they work, it's yeah. wonderful. Everyone mm. will be standing and applauding. But I'm... I'm dangerously sceptical on these unfortunately and I think with good reason because if you take the train today you'll be hoping you get a seat what if there are all these extra people looking to get a seat as well as you 
Yeah, of course. And, and you know, we where we live here, mm. we're actually doing all right, re- relatively speaking, to someone in Leitrim or, or Tipperary or, yeah. or Cork. You know, mm. when you talk, are you talking to some of those other radio stations, the people phone in, they're just saying there's mm. nothing for us to to to, to use. Mm. So it's it's going to be interesting, and it's just as well. There's a hesitancy for people to be pulled out of cars, and, mm. and it looks like we're going to be facing legislation, taxation, mm. and in the case of you know even inc- they're even muting increasing petrol and diesel charges. We know, we've seen, we've talked about it this year, those yeah. increases in prices, they are likely to get worse and worse, especially mm. into the new year next yeah. year. Um, well, so this plan intends to make them worse because a part of it is to increase fossil fuels so that if you're driving petrol or diesel, the cost of that will go up again as an incentive to get you out of the car. So what do you do? Do you get the bus? Will the bus come on time? Look at the airport bus. It's a half an hour late every single day of the year. And we are also seeing in, the, in Dublin City Centre phantom buses. So bus people people are saying there's a bus that just doesn't show up mm. as well, which isn't, isn't helpful. But even going back to the, the shift towards electric vehicles, we've seen such an increase in electricity to put into these electric vehicles in the first place. It, there's a point at which if electricity reached 74 cents per kilowatt hour, you would be paying the same as petrol or diesel for a car that's actually cost you more money in the first place. Mm. So we're, we're heading sort of dangerously towards that direction with now 43, 44 cents per kilowatt for, for, uh, for you know, for, for electricity. So mm. look, I don't want to dampen down these things. These plans are, are great if they work. Yeah. But even reading this is different. And in, there's a line in it which also says, oh, by the way, everything we said in 2021, uh, forget all that, because uh, that won't work. Mm. <laughs> you know, yeah. What are you supposed to so take out of that? What will we say in 2023 <laughs> yeah. or 2024? Once we've paid another series of uh, very expensive advisors to write us a report. Yeah. But, um, you know, this this shift towards, um, you know, out of cars, there's a figure here. So 2018, 72% of journeys were uh, in cars. By 2030, 53%. Um, so a shift from 8% public transport to 19% public transport in that's going to be now in seven years' time. Mm. Interesting numbers if yeah. they work, but um, I think we'll be talking about this and uh, saying, oh. Yeah, well, we heard Minister Eamon Ryan saying it's the most challenging sector of all the sectors. Why is that the case? Why uh, is it that emissions have to be reduced by 50% in transport when it is next to impossible? There's so much that needs to be done before you can get to even thinking that it's possible. Uh, And then you have something like agriculture, uh, which is the worst offender when it comes to to, uh, emissions, and it has to reduce its emissions by 25%. Yeah, but it's it's, a series of... I know, bad Lobbying. planning or, or at the time, yes. Well, who, who yeah. shouts the loudest as yeah. well, of course, yeah. So The farmers won the argument. They've won, they've won that that particular yeah. argument. But look, you, you, even, you remember back to sort of 2008, 2009, we were all told, okay, you need to all buy diesel cars because, yes. uh, mm. and there was a massive shift. We were 70% petrol market. Mm. And it was a Green Minister, John Gormley at the time. Uh-huh. Mm. And that, so overnight we all said, right, okay, let's all buy diesel cars. Mm. Now there was other reasons, as we found out later on, greater knowledge, Volkswagen scandal, etc. We are, so we are now, all, you know, there's the car park, if you like, of cars out there is majority of diesel. And now people are paying more for the diesel and we are, the emissions aren't great. Etc. Etc. So these are all we've staggered from various different plans which weren't really thought through. Uh, but look, let's see where will we land on this one? Okay, not very confident. For for now, yeah, no. Yeah. But but look, I, mm. I, I, there's a, hope, a potential for optimism. Mm. But uh, some of the numbers just seem mm. like they've been pulled a little bit out of the sky. Okay, but if it was achieved, 
Uh, Happy days, great. You'd, you'd be very supportive. Hundred yeah. percent, yeah. Like mm-hmm. we, you know, we we are obviously the automobile association, but we want to get people back to using cars for you know enjoying themselves, being yeah. out with their families, mm-hmm. not necessarily sitting in traffic, which is yeah. not a productive use of time. Yeah, well, you're not sitting in traffic uh, this morning because you're in your hometown here. Yes, back Florida. home. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and home for the Christmas. I hope with uh, the family. Great to see you in here, and you thanks too. for coming into us. And uh, happy Christmas to you, you and, and everybody in the AA as well. That's Paddy Cummin, head of communications with AA Ireland. Michael at lmfm.ie The Michael Reed Show with Airgrid, managing and developing the national electricity grid so that it's fit for our current needs and ready for our future ones. They need it. Now, if you want to do something to help people uh, this Christmas, you could help to raise funds for the Family Addiction Network uh, who are running a Family Fun 5K run. This is the Family Addiction Support Network, otherwise known as FASN. Uh, and uh, you might want to take part in it yourself or support those who are. You'll be glad to know that it's not taking place too early because uh, the run will start on the 1st of January at 12 noon from pedestrian walkway beside Friary School, Friary Park in Dundalk uh, and uh, you may want to support that in many different ways because the money raised will go, as I say, to FASAN, the Family Addiction Support Network uh, and how that will be spent is what we're going to hear over the next few minutes. Uh, let's speak first of all to Gwen McKenna who's a Family Support Specialist with the Family Addiction Support Network and a very good morning to you uh, and thanks uh, for joining us on uh, the programme today. Gwen, uh, I know that uh, the work that you do is invaluable. Uh, maybe you tell us a, a little about what you do from the perspective of family members and loved ones going into what is a festive time of year. Well, Michael, um, our, our service is there all the time for our family members. You know, but coming, coming up to Christmas, um, it's it's really stressful for family members, you know, because even under normal circumstances, living with addiction can be a stressful, confusing experience where the abnormal becomes normal and everyone loses sight of what healthy behaviour looks like. Like family members and kids can tiptoe around someone in active addiction, mm. trying not to rock the boat. But families are already living a double life, attempting to manage the unpredictable behaviour of the person in addiction. Um, was perhaps hiding the problem from friends and relatives. Right. So Christmas, therefore, can potentially put these relationships even under more pressure. Mm. And during any December in Ireland, um, you'll know this, alcohol and other drug use consumption tends to rise. Of course, yeah. Yeah, so for family members already tiptoeing around addiction, Christmas can be a big pressure cooker moment for them. So... For some families, even Christmas time might mean uh, being face to face and spending time with a loved one who's developed a dependency or who's openly drinking or using drugs. And then on the other side um, of that, they could be hiding their true consumption levels, being secretive, manipulative, and behaving differently as a result. So it's a very confusing time. Yeah, and all of that, I'm sure, adding worry to. Uh, people who are already worried. Uh, tell us a, a little bit more about how it affects families uh, and uh, people who are close to addicts. Yeah, well, in the, addiction is very sneaky, very sneaky and very subtle. So at the beginning, the problem of addiction dependence is often denied, not just by those who are in addiction, but by the family members too. Because it's a condition that is difficult to understand and it's and also right. 
and creates havoc and it destroys lives. Families experience stigma and a vicious circle of shame and guilt. So there's an awful lot of stuff going on in there. Mm. And for family members, addiction can have physical, emotional, financial, social and spiritual consequences. Family members have often said to me that they've become invisible. Mm. And also those who are, the families who are affected by the impact of somebody else's addictive behaviour, they, they often and, and very often feel worried, confused, frustrated, isolated is a huge one, hopeless, angry, suicidal or, and completely exhausted. Right, very you difficult. And, yeah. and this is on mm. top of Christmas as well, mm. you know. Mm. And, and it's Christmas in itself is, um, can be a very difficult time for those in addiction or even in recovery. The Christmas period can be a stressful time for everyone. A lot of people can exert themselves too much, physically, socially and financially over mm-hmm. Christmas. And this can contribute to a massive increase in stress, which is one of the most common triggers for addiction and relapse. Right. It's a, a lot to contend with. It, it's a hell of a, it's an awful amount altogether. Mm-hmm. And all of this means that family members are often on tender hooks, worried and anxious. You often hear about mm-hmm. walking on eggshells. And they're worried about how Christmas may be um, potentially affected by the loved one's addiction behaviours. Mm. But for families new to addiction or who've been living with this for the damaging consequences for years, getting advice and support is really essential. Mm. It's mm. vitally important that of you course. do not feel alone. Yeah, well, there's nothing worse than having to walk around on eggshells, as you put it. And people come to you for that advice and support, Gwen. What do you say to them? Yeah. Well, first of all, when people come in, we have a mug of tea, which will sit down. Very good. Mug of tea. Yeah. Mm. And we know, we know that we, we know each other's story, yeah. you know. Mm. And the first thing is to remember, um, as we as family members cannot change other people, but we can change how we respond to them and their behaviour. And the nature of addiction or the energy of addiction um, will keep you from realising that you have a choice in this as well. You know, yeah. it's vital that family members and loved ones remember to look after themselves this Christmas and over the holidays. Setting mm. boundaries and sticking to them is a great place to start. Yeah. This is where mm. we go with. So having coping strategies is crucial for our ability to deal with living with someone who's addicted to or even has significantly increased their consumption of alcohol or drugs over this time. Stress mm. and worry really have the capacity to stop us as family members from functioning. And that's why these coping strategies are advised. Uh, Tell us a little bit more about them. Yeah, so um, the coping strategies give us the opportunity to take responsibility in difficult situations. And that's the either changing the nature of the situation being experienced. And, And for an example, it's taking time out or changing the way we deal with the situation example is by setting a boundary mm. like for, even for myself in the beginning and um, because of the addiction your boundaries are totally gone you know they they're, they just become eroded because you're trying to deal with everything so and mm. um, what is a boundary yeah. so living in that was massive for me so boundaries are the limits we set in relationships to protect ourselves from being overwhelmed or manipulated by others. Okay, there's a, a boundary I think that you mentioned uh, a moment ago and uh, that you can't change people. Uh, yeah. So what do you do? So we can't change other people, but we can change how we respond. 
You see, and and that's the whole thing. It's it's about how how it affects us. We don't look at ourselves. We keep focusing on the person with the addiction. Mm. So if we can bring it back to ourselves, and and um, if we respond and put in a healthy boundary, and they allow us to maintain a clear, stronger sense of our own identity, our own feelings, our own needs. Mm. They they also allow um, us to protect our space physically and emotionally. It also allows us to stop being taken advantage of. Mm. And it, it, the biggest one is to clarify what is acceptable and what is not. Okay, it's pr- protecting yourself from the addict, is it? It is. Right. Well, okay. It is. Um, but it, it, and this goes in all relationships, as far mm. as I'm concerned. But, but some boundaries, um, you really need to have to be rigid in them because no one deserves abusive treatment. No one deserves to be betrayed or lied to. And we all deserve to be treated with dignity and respect. And that doesn't happen when when the boundaries are not in place. You know, when we get overwhelmed, when all of the stuff goes out the window. Uh, so, yeah. But what, what else would you say to family members? All right, then I, I would say, and this can be very, very hard when you're living with addiction, is we need to practice our own self-care. And looking after our own physical and our mental health is vital to maintain resilience and not get overwhelmed. And if there are children in the house, maintaining routines for children is really important. Regular bedtimes ensure they get enough sleep. They'll be less likely to be here the next day. And plan alcohol-free activities. Children can learn that socialising need not include alcohol. And this one is really important. Listen and talk to your children. Help them learn how to communicate difficult emotions instead of hiding them. And don't try to cope alone. If you're feeling worried, frightened or overwhelmed, reach out to someone that you trust and who will listen to you. And just don't be on your own. And just at at that um, Fasten the headlines remaining open all over Christmas period. So you won't be on your own. Like, ring us. And if you can't get us, because we'll be dealing with different people, leave your information so that we can get back to you. And we will get back to you. You won't be on your own. Okay. So, and and addiction can sometimes lead to a life-threatening emergency, um, Michael. Mm. And if you are experiencing this um, or you do not feel safe, please Mm. lift the phone and contact the emergency services immediately. Okay. It's sobering to listen to all of this, Gwen. It has to be said, uh, puts into perspective uh, how people will be spending Christmas uh, and uh, how, uh, unfortunately, it'll be festive for someone in the house, or that's what they think, uh, and other people uh, living uh, and trying to cope with all of this. Uh, we'll get a, a better insight to it now. Eileen uh, is on the line. Good morning, Eileen, and thanks uh, for joining us. Uh, you're in uh, this uh, particular situation, uh, and you've been to Fasten uh, for help, but what made you decide to do that? Morning, Michael. Um, well, I had a family member who was caught up in addiction and, you know, I, I didn't know what to do to help him. All of my energy seemed to go into trying to control and manage his life as I thought I was doing the right thing at the time. And I'm a working mother and I had other children and I was trying to keep all the balls up in the air at the one time. Mm. And I kind of cut myself off from from everybody, you know, mm. especially family members, because I found it was too hard for me 
to talk about. I felt, you know, I felt I was on my own and right. that nobody else would, would understand. Okay. And I worried what the others would think, you know, um, yeah. whether we'd be judged or not. Like, uh, hmm. it was all right for me as a mother to do all the giving out and the judging, but I didn't want anybody else. Okay. Judging, you know, okay. the protective side of me. Yeah, well, I, I suppose there's uh, that protective side in all of us. Uh, and you sought help uh, from Fasten. Uh, how did they assist you? Well, the first night I went into the meeting, I felt, oh God, this is where I need to be. I realised that I wasn't alone. You know, there were so many other people out there that were in the same position as me. Mm. And I found like the meeting it was a safe secure place that i could come and share confidentiality was important and they'd understand and indeed identify with me right that was probably life-changing was it oh it was very Mm. much so very much so you know it was such a relief to see that i wasn't alone Mm. or to realize that i wasn't alone Mm. Or that you didn't cause this, uh, you, you weren't responsible no, for somebody else's I addiction. definitely didn't. Mm, mm, okay. I can't cure it. Mm. I can't control it. Yeah. You know, but I, it helped me to um, realise that my thinking needed to be changed. Mm. I had to kind of unlearn my old way of thinking okay. and develop new skills to help me with my own life. Okay. You know? uh, and... Um, uh, I'm sure you haven't looked back. Uh, it sounds like a, it was a wonderful thing for you. Is it something you'd recommend to other people? Definitely. Definitely. I felt so um, enlightened, if I can use that word, mm. and grateful that I wanted to give something back. So I'm now uh, training to be a facilitator myself. Oh, very good. Very good. And if there is any advice I can give, mm. it's to be not to be afraid to reach out and to ask for help mm. because I found I know now I can realise now addiction it's too big a load for one person to carry you know and sharing them with others in a similar position yeah just helps to lighten that load okay well Fasten is on the internet F-A-S-N dot I-E uh, there's a helpline 87 that people can call if uh, they do want to reach open during Christmas and to the new year uh, and indeed we'd ask people to keep in mind the fun uh, race, the family fun race uh, taking place on New Year's Day to support it in whatever way they can. It's a, a wonderful service. Thank you Gwen, thank you Eileen for joining us uh, on the programme uh, this morning. Eileen there telling us about her own experience and we were also speaking with Gwen McKenna who's a family support specialist with the Family Addiction Support Network. Oof. The Michael Reed Show with AirGrid managing and developing the national electricity grid so that it's fit for our current needs and ready for our future ones. Now we'll be hearing uh, from uh, the funeral mass of uh, Private uh, Sean Rooney in a a short while but first we're uh, going to listen to Christopher O'Neill who's been talking to Eamon Doyle about his good friend the late Private Sean Rooney. My mum Lisa and Sean's mum Natasha were good friends growing up so um, Sean was born in November and I was born in December of '98, so we've actually known each other um, before we could even before we could even walk or talk. And then um, we went to Gales Gold and Dalgan together, you know, and we're best friends and remained best friends uh, ever since. Um, what kind of a lad was he growing up with him? Growing up, you know, Sean was always 
you know the the funniest in in the group. You know he 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 loved to crack a joke and um as we grew up, you know, and seeing his personality, you know, he was a caring, kind-hearted, you know, very thoughtful, thoughtful person, and and that shows, you know, you've probably seen comments about him throughout the week in the media and stuff, but. You know, he really was um, a, a lovable character and a very loving character, and that was seen in his actions. You know, he loved it, loved his mum and his stepdad Paul and his wee sister and his grandparents, and he just loved his whole family and um, even his fiance Holly, who they were recently engaged there during the summer. You know, um, if you were close to Sean, you know he really made you feel like you were special to him, and that's just the type of person he was. And also, when you were growing up, um, was the army something that he always was going to aspire to? Do you think? Yeah, it's funny enough actually when we were in Sean first told me he wanted to be a soldier when we were in third class in the Gale School and I'm sure you've probably seen comments about his late father Cormac too he was also a soldier a soldier and then you have you know his um, his, his two uncles um, Eugene and John and his great uncle as well were, were all soldiers in, in the army so um, he, he, I think he's always wanted to be um, a soldier from a, from a very young age and um, a very good one he, he was you know and then he went off and and he did his training, uh, but you all stayed in contact even though he'd headed off and his his mam is in, in Donegal. Yeah, so Sean first left for Donegal and we just completed our junior shirt in, in school. So he would have done TY fifth and sixth year in his school in in Newcastle or Letterkenny, and and then we would have went away on our sixth year holiday together. Then when we finished our leaving cert, um, and then it was after that we went to college, and then Sean ended up. He joined the army and he actually done his training. Um, well, he was based in Dublin in the beginning, and then he was. We always FaceTimed and messaged uh, the whole group, you know, throughout the time when we when we weren't together. But it was one of the relationships me and Sean had. It was like it doesn't ma- it didn't matter how long we were apart. But once we seen each other, you know, it was just like we hadn't been apart at all. You know, you just fell back into those just, early days of growing up. Yeah, just fell back into the norm. You know, it was just like we hadn't seen each other for five minutes, and then. When he told me, he first told me he was going to be relocated to the dock. You know, we were all delighted that we would have been with each other a lot more often in each other's company. You know, more and more than than what we had been in in previous years. You know. And tell me then um, a little bit about the holiday. For instance, as you went and then he's all met up on your six year holiday and you went away off. Yeah, so we we finished our exams and um, we actually met here in my granny's house and. Jim, my, my grandfather, took us up to the airport in, in the minibus at the time and we jetted off for Santa Ponza as, you know, as the six-year students do when they finish their leaving certain. You know, we had a great week and it was just this year again. Um, fast forward to 2022, he, he proposed to his girlfriend in June and we went to Ibiza in July and uh, between, amongst ourselves, we, you know, we branded it as a stag do, you know, taking, um, having, having the crack and um, his original his, his stag was actually meant to be in May of, of next year but um, lucky enough we you know we, we got away together and got to celebrate him proposing to Holly in, in our own wee way Christopher O'Neill Alan Craven is uh, the principal at St Mary's College in Dundalk he too has been speaking to Eamon Doyle about the sense of shock in the Marist at the death of a, a former pupil the late Private Sean Rooney There was a lot of shock obviously around the school this week a uh, number of staff who are currently in the school would have obviously taught Sean I was there myself obviously in terms, uh, during Sean's time in the school so there was a lot of shock and a lot of devastation in the staff room this week now when the news came through. And what kind of a lad was he? Just a lovely lad, lovely lad Eamon. Um, 
he was very uh, he was very compassionate, he was very kind, good natured. He would have been very popular with staff and peers alike. Uh, would have been very pleasant in the classroom. Would have been enthusiastic. He enjoyed life inside the classroom. Enjoyed life outside the classroom. Contributed a lot to the life of the school. He was very sporting. Uh, he enjoyed his Gaelic and he enjoyed his soccer and he represented the college in, in those coats as well. And was the army something for his life when, when he was in school? His his uncle Eugene was a couple of years ahead of him and we would have been well aware of the you know the Rooney connection with the army and that it's it's certainly that's something that has gone through the generations and we would have had a sense at that stage even that maybe that was a route that him that both Sean and, and Eugene were probably considering even at that stage, you know. And, you know, f- what, what do you say then to, you know, all his friends, all the lads that he went through school with and, you know, how to cope, cope with this now going forward, this loss, which is a big void in their lives? We have, we've actually uh, a classmate of his who's back on the staff now. He's, he's, he's completing his PME, so he's completing his teacher training. He was in... He was in Sean's class, shared classes with him, and again, he was absolutely devastated when he'd heard the news, and um, I suppose he was just remembering some of the really pleasant memories that he has and reflecting back on the times that they shared together. But it is, it's definitely a void. We had a carol service in the school last night, we said a prayer for Sean at that, we remembered him that, and we we did say that it's, it's obviously a, a void for the family, incomparable, but... Uh, just tell those people just to, you know, remember Sean and and those memories that I have to hold on to. Very sad. The principal of uh, the Marist, Alan Craven, speaking to Eamon Doyle. Michael one nine eight three two thousand. The Michael Reed Show, brought to you by AirGrid, managing and planning the national grid so that everyone has electricity when and where they need it. We can go to Dundalk now and uh, the Holy Family Church uh, for uh, the funeral service of uh, Private Sean Rooney in attendance at uh, the Mass are Archbishop Eamon Martin the Primate of All-Ireland Auxiliary Bishop of Armagh Michael Reuter the President Michael D. Higgins the Taoiseach Leo Radker Tánaiste Micheál Martin Lieutenant General Sean Clancy who's the Chief of Staff of the Defence Forces and the Celebrant is Father Derek Ryan. I'm not sure if you can see the front of this uh, ambo uh, at the very uh, front of the sanctuary, uh, the Irish flag that has been flying outside the church over the past couple of days is now folded and placed here on the stool in front. This flag flew in Lebanon ten years ago and was brought home by a, a soldier returning from duty. When we look at the flag as a community, uh, it's a symbol of how rooted the town of Dundalk is in the work of peacekeeping. Generations of men and women working for peace on behalf of the Irish people. And when Sean was killed last week, it really did pierce the heart of his family and the heart of this close-knit community and even the town of Dundalk. It's not talked about a lot, but families who have sons and daughters serving abroad, they know the risks and dangers that are always present in regions of conflict. Peace building will always be a risky business. We call them peacekeeping missions, 
but sometimes they can be far from peaceful. Here in the church you have a a great view of the crib. Eugene, Sean's grandfather, put up that crib last Tuesday, himself with his friend Paddy. They put up the crib with that usual feeling of warmth and anticipation. I'm sure you get that feeling yourself from time to time when you put the crib up in your own home. Some people I know leave their cribs up all year round. It's to remind themselves of the closeness of God to us in our lives. It's a comfort to us. But God comes into our world not just to share love and compassion and mercy. God shares in our grief, our sorrow and our unspeakable pain. Sometimes grief can cripple our bodies. And we can find it difficult sometimes to breathe. We're grieving so much. And the simple act of talking, it seems like a a task which is just beyond our ability. And when we get up in the morning, the day ahead of us seems so long and so empty. Our president, Michael D. Higgins, made a statement in the Oris last week after the the country learned of Sean's death. And he said the following, We greatly appreciate at this time of year our defence forces who serve in conflict zones around the world. Language is insufficient to deal with the grief which the family are feeling at this time. Our defence force personnel, they work for peace. It's a peace we so badly need in the world. And this work is carried through the sacrifice of families who are waiting at home. It's a joyous occasion when they do come home. And can I add to President Michael's statement by saying, it breaks the human heart when a loved one dies serving their country for the important work of peace building. It breaks all our hearts. And to use a phrase from Antishuk Leo Varadkar, the work of our Irish peacekeepers is so, so important. So language is indeed insufficient to deal with the kind of grief that we are experiencing and that you, the family, are experiencing at this time. The crib in front of us, only too well, Uh, displays life's joy and life's pain. The two of them go hand in hand. The pain of losing... Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about... 
work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. John, so suddenly and so tragically, is the greatest pain you can experience as a family and as a community and as a country. And yet, at the heart of this tragedy is the message of the Incarnation, the message of Christmas. God is with us. Faith runs deep in the Rooney family. And I think, from talking to you over the past couple of days, you feel God's presence now more than ever. Or maybe you don't. Maybe there are questions you have and God doesn't seem to be answering them at all. I spoke with Sean before his first tour of Lebanon last year. It was a remarkable conversation about his future and his life. He spoke about Holly his fiancée. He spoke about his sister, his mum and dad, and his family. He gave me this lovely glimpse into his life in Newtown Cunningham, County Donegal. And as he stood in his granny and granddad's kitchen, I noticed that when he looked at Rachel, the look had a particular quality to it. A word that comes to mind is adoration. He adored Rachel. He adored Eugene. He adored his family. He was immersed in family life. And what struck me and struck most people about Sean was his maturity. He was wise beyond his years. His family knew it. And of course, the defence forces knew it as well. Natasha said recently, it was an honour to be his mother. And there was that unique bond between mum, dad and son. Natasha, my sense is that as the years progressed, you both became best friends. Would that be fair to say? The friendship that exists between mother and child, it rests at the heart of the crib and of Christmas season. Natasha, I don't know how you did it, but you packed lunches and dinners for the week in the back of his car with enough laundry to last him the week in Dublin. You would tell him to get to Dublin quickly and get the food into a fridge as soon as possible. 
But no, he wouldn't go to Dublin directly. He'd take a little detour to the love of his life, Holly, his fiancée. And a lot of that food never made it to Dublin. It was eaten in Derry by Holly and her flatmates. So now I have a statement from Holly, and I'd like to read it, please. This is beautiful. Just listen. Growing up, I never understood why people called their partner the other half. As my relationship with Sean advanced, it became clear, Sean is not only my other half, he's my better half. I can say for certain that he would have been a fantastic husband and an even better father. His presence immediately made me feel at ease and he could always protect me and make me feel safe. He was an extremely driven person. He knew what he wanted in life. He loved his job in the army. He loved his running and he always looked after himself. He admired and adored his mother, his dad and especially Robin. Sean always encouraged me in my work and my studies and everything in life. He believed I could do anything. He made me feel that I could do anything. And he ensured to always tell me how proud he was of everything I achieved in life. And finally, I am absolutely heartbroken that our life together has been cut short. But I feel extremely lucky to have experienced a person and love. Some people don't ever have the opportunity to love and be loved in the way that Sean and I did, so I feel absolutely honoured that I have been afforded three wonderful years with him. Isn't that lovely? Thanks, Holly. Thank you. Someone said to me over the past week that the the Irish way is to stand beside people when they're at their lowest and to walk as Christ walked with those who suffer and are in pain. And this morning and over the past week, we have gathered. We gather and we wrap our arms around Sean's family this morning. And in some way, as a Christian community, we try to show something of God's love and God's compassion. The presence of politicians and army generals and personnel and religious leaders of the diocese and the support of the community in Mahevena Moor and Newtown Cunningham. We all have been walking with you, the family, every step of the way. And Natasha and Paul and the wider family, I hope in some way there can be comfort taken from the Christian community gathered around you today and every day. In the word from our Gospel, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Sean, your duty is done, Akara. 
You have earned your rest. Father Derek Ryan, and uh, we will return to the Holy Family Church in Dundalk uh, in a short while to hear more from uh, the funeral mass of Private Sean Rooney. The Michael Reed Show, brought to you by AirGrid, managing and planning the national grid so that everyone has electricity when and where they need it. As you know, the funeral mass of Private Sean Rooney is ongoing and we're going to return to the Holy Family Church in Dundalk now where we can listen to Sean's mother, Natasha, speak about her late son. I thought about it all week that I really wanted to stand up and speak on my son's behalf. I wanted to tell you all how wonderful and kind and loving Sean was um, myself and Holly spoke with Father Derek the other night and we shared stories and we talked about all the different kind wonderful things that Sean has done in his short life um, Father Derek asked myself and Holly to write some words down um, about Sean that he could read out at the Mass and um, I just I couldn't put into words there's no words that are strong enough there's no words great enough to express the love that I have for Sean and how proud I am of Sean Sean was placed in my arms when I was 16 years old and he gave me purpose I wanted to do better for Sean I wanted to finish school for Sean I wanted to go on to third level education for Sean to buy my house for Sean I wanted Sean to have a mother that he could be proud of I in his life, he gave me purpose. In his death, I will find new purpose. I promise my son that I will stay strong to take care of Robin. I promise that we will try our very best to strengthen our faith and that of Robin so that we can be reunited with Sean in heaven. I could stand here all day and tell you all the different nice things that John has done for people. I had a childhood friend living out in Canada who couldn't be here today, obviously. And instead of sending flowers, he raised $2,000 and that money is going to underprivileged children this Christmas which is so fitting for Sean such such it was just the right thing to do it just summed Sean up because he wouldn't like to think of any child at Christmas without toys as I say I don't have the words to express my love for him and my pride as I look around at everybody here today for Sean 
Not just because of this. Not because he is a national hero. I am proud of him. loving person that John was. He was the most beautiful baby, the most gorgeous wee boy, and the most handsome man you will ever meet. But that is a fraction of what was on the inside. I will love you forever, son. And I cannot wait to be reunited with you in heaven. Thank you. A very uh, emotional mother mourning the loss of her son. Um, that's uh, Private Sean Rooney's mother, Natasha, speaking in uh, the Holy Family Church in Dundalk. Very sad day for the family, of course. Sad day for the nation. And we'll hear more from uh, that funeral throughout the programme. Now, let me bring you some of uh, the comments that have been coming to us uh, this morning about some of uh, the other issues uh, that we've been discussing. Betty uh, has been texting, asking about people addicted to drink and drugs. She says, drink I can understand, but not drugs. Tablets and injections used to treat a medical condition, uh, hopefully they'll cure you. But to take drugs for recreational reasons only wrecks your head and your body. They leave you like zombies. How can that be enjoyable for people? Thanks, Betty, as always, for your message. Eamon says they talk about the environment and climate change and getting people to use public transport, yet they're taking up a perfectly good railway line between Navan and Kingscourt and calling it a greenway. Surely getting people onto trains and out of cars with good public transport would be the way to go, restoring train lines instead of pulling them up. Uh, I think a, a lot of the figures on climate change are plucked from the sky. We had an ice age, droughts, hard winters, etc. for centuries before any train or car were even thought of. Maybe Eamon Ryan will give a grant for growing tomatoes and lettuce in window boxes in high-rise apartments. Thank you indeed, Eamon. <laughs> Slightly cynical uh, text, uh, but uh, much appreciated. Uh, Stephen uh, Andrade in touch with us. Uh, he witnessed a, a crash this morning, somebody reversing into a car, uh, and was wondering, should he report it? Please do, Stephen. Please report it to the person whose car was crashed into. And uh, I'm sure uh, if uh, you can uh, give evidence, uh, that would be very helpful. Thank you. Maybe contact the Garda station. Cahillan Morning says uh, he's wondering about people who have mobility issues. Uh, my mother is 81 and uses a wheeled stroller to get her around. There's no way she can use the bus. So I'll not be getting rid of the car anytime soon. Carmel MacDonald has been in touch with us about Our Lady's Hospital in Navan asking why patients are being forced to accept rationing. Uh, when it comes to accessing services due to a lack of capacity. While in Meath, this injustice is being compounded and uh, she makes reference uh, to a plan uh, and um, says that the silence from the decision makers uh, about what's happening in Navan uh, shows that this out-of-control overcrowding is accepted when it absolutely shouldn't be. Thank you, Carmel, for uh, your texts. Uh, another text uh, from, these are all WhatsApp messages, actually. Somebody says, can I ask, why would politicians be trying 
to bring in all of these new regulations on climate, on parking and train stations, public transport and all the rest for years to come when they know uh, if they're not going, they know that they're not going to be in government after the next election. Uh, another cynical caller. Thank you. Always appreciated. Deirdre and Kel says public transport is very handy. Uh, they need to bring the trains back to Navin. Uh, they need to do that uh, very quickly. Uh, and happy Christmas. Thank you indeed, uh, Deirdre, and happy Christmas to you as well. Now, we were talking yesterday on the programme uh, about uh, Phil Hogan, uh, former EU commissioner uh, who was forced to resign. Some would say uh, he walked before he was pushed, uh, that he was sacked in effect. Uh, and he was very, very sorry because of Golfgate and we went over all of that and all of the apologies uh, that he made. And then he spoke uh, to Sean O'Rourke on the television last night and he, he wasn't as uh, apologetic. In fact, uh, he felt he, he had been done wrong by uh, for populist reasons. Uh, the Taoiseach Micheál Martin was asked about this yesterday. In relation to um, the, the comments by, by, by Phil Hogan, Again, the context of the time was very clear. And I can recall at the time we had just put new restrictions back on Kildare and two other counties. And I remember deputies getting back onto me saying it is visceral before anything emerged about the individual case in terms of the public's reaction to what the government had done in terms of having to put new restrictions. And it's in that context that the whole scenario unfolded um, in, in terms of uh, and th- there was a huge public anger. Uh, a government minister resigned um, at the time uh, and, and, and took a decision to resign. And the other parallel point I would make is that there was actually a significant degree of opportunity and engagement between the then commissioner and the president of the commission. We had no involvement with the president of the commission in respect of anything prior to the decision of, of Phil Hogan to resign at the time. Uh, and it was completely at arm's length uh, in terms of any connection between government and the, and the president of the commission. I want to be very clear about that because there is some implication, I think, in the, uh, Phil Hogan's statement that somehow we were driving or feeding stuff into the commission. No, we were not. Uh, and I think the commission sought uh, explanations from Phil Hogan, Hogan at the time. That said, uh, I think the entire episode was, was very regrettable. No one in advance of this ever envisage a situation where a European commission would uh, find himself in the position that he would have to, to, to resign. But the context was very clear at the time as well, and the public anger was very, very real in terms of people were being asked uh, you know, to do extraordinary things in their own personal lives um, in terms of attendances of funerals of their loved ones right across. And, and that's the context in which I think everything that unfolded, unfolded. A uh, very strong message to the former EU Commissioner Phil Hogan, delivered there by on Taoiseach, or it's on Taunishta now, I beg your pardon, uh, on Taunishta, Michal Martin. Michael at lmfm.ie The Michael Reed Show with AirGrid, managing and developing the national electricity grid so that it's fit for our current needs and ready for our future ones. Cain Cui will is a good girl, turkey in the grey, gobble gobble, nor a hrishin on termimage or fiola shock. The Michael Reed Show, brought to you by AirGrid, managing and planning the national grid so that everyone has electricity when and where they need it.
The funeral mass of uh, Private uh, Sean Rooney has concluded in uh, the last few minutes at uh, the Holy Family Church in Dundalk. We can go now to the Primate of All-Ireland, Archbishop Eamon Martin. A a very good morning to you and uh, thank you for joining us on this very, very sad morning. A sad morning, obviously, for the family and a a sad morning for the nation. Oh, it really is, Michael. I'm just here. I'm still in my robes, actually, just after walking over from the the funeral cortege, which is moving on now to Newton Cunningham in uh, Donegal after a short service at the Aiken Barracks. And I think, you know, you will have heard there how deeply moving this has been for everybody, especially, of course, for his dear family and loved ones. And But I really felt, you know, that the the whole people of Dundalk and indeed of Louth and the whole country really are grieving today for this young man who was clearly so courageous and so brave, but as we heard from his mother and his family members and from Father Derek there, who uh, was the main celebrant at the Mass, clearly this was a very special young man who had a deep inner faith and strength in himself, which he which he conveyed to everyone around him. And you could see there in his comrades and in his colleagues and fellow members of the Defence Forces just, you know, how grief-stricken they all are, you know, and all of us, really. I, I just found that that ceremony so moving and just so, so consoling in the faith and in the power of family, Michael. I mean, you, you really could touch that strength that they had for each other at, at a time like this. And I'm sure there are people all over the country who will be very moved by, by what has been happening here this morning in Dundalk. His mother, Natasha's grief, was palpable, wasn't it? She said in his life, he gave her purpose. In his death, he has given her new purpose. And she spoke about how she can't wait now to be reunited with Sean in heaven. Oh, my goodness. I mean, just to stay there and listen to this. And like people were, were openly weeping in the church as she said that. But in a strange way, it was so consoling just to see the power of love. I mean, she was really talking about the power of love, which is which is really what, what binds all of us together. You know, I'm thinking of families like listening in this morning who who have those same deep bonds of love and sacrifice for each other and looking after each other and caring for themselves and for their families. Do you know, Natasha's words were just a huge testimony to love and a mother's love and a family's love, you know, which... You know, for me, like, you know, being there, you know, as a, as a clergyman, as an archbishop, just, you know, I could feel coming through in her words the love of Christ, the love of God, which is there for all of us, you know, mm. uh, just to tap into it. You could hear that in Natasha this morning. Yeah. And we heard a statement read by Father Derek Ryan uh, from uh, Private John Rooney's fiance, Holly McConnellogue, equally heartbreaking. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, funny. I know Holly's family well. I'm a dairyman myself, you see. So, in fact, even the, the, the wider, you know, family, the McCluskey family, the Rooney family, and, uh, you know, Holly herself, just so brave in her words, you know, and once more saying she was so grateful for having known uh, Sean in her life. Uh, she felt that he gave her purpose and he gave her meaning and he con- he encouraged her to be the best person that she could be. You know, not, you know, you know I have, you have to remember, you know, Sean was only 24. You know, he's only a boy, 
really, you know, a young man, but already in his life he had been able to to be so good to people and to, of course, to his loved ones, but to also to his friends and companions. And, you know, I think that's a real vote of confidence in youth. You know, sometimes our young people get a bad press, you know, but I meet every day inspirational young people who move me and who, who, who let me have great hope for the future, you know. I know there's awful things going on out there and terrible violence and awful war, you know, and, and terrible hurts and strife. But in the midst of it all, hold on. Hold on to love and hold on to faith and hold on to hope. You know, don't give up and don't despair. That was the message there today for young people and for older people like me and others. You know, let's be there for each other. Let's be there for each other and help each other through through troubled times and difficult times. We're at Christmas, and uh, it's a time when people naturally turn to family, to home, to loved ones. And, uh, you know, I'm thinking also, you know, Michael, this morning of the, the people of Krishlok. You know, I was brought back, I, I travelled up to Krishok there whenever that awful tragedy happened. And once more, you could see the power of a community wrapping around each other. And I can see that in Dundalk. It's important to remember, of course, that, you know, Sean's family, his uncles, his dad, there were so many people, you know, who were connected with the Defence Forces here at Aiken uh, Barracks in Dundalk. And I know that there's a whole family of people there, you know, there's a whole community who have been deeply impacted by this. And many, many Dundalk people and people from Laos and the surrounding areas who have served there or who maybe knew Sean or knew one of his family members who who have also served in the forces, you know. And you get that great sense of camaraderie and being there for each other. It's, it's very, very important for all of us. Yeah. And very, very sad as well. A, a, a difficult uh, end to a, a year that has presented many challenges in many different ways to many different people in this country and overseas. As we come to the end of the year, it's an opportunity to reflect on that with you as the primate of all Ireland. And I'm sure there's many people to be thinking about this Christmas. That's true, Michael. Um, and, uh, you know, even just in recent days there, you know, seeing the, 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 the continued war in Ukraine. For me, uh, the year 2022, it began with the, 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 the ending of the worst of the COVID pandemic when people felt, oh, at last, we're coming out of this. But then very, very quickly in the springtime, we heard the awful news about war in Europe. And, you know, we, we tend to think of war as being either something way back in the past or war has been something, you know, at the other end of the world. But, you know, it's you can get on a plane in Dublin and be in, in, in Kiev in, in, in two or three hours. You know, we're talking about places that are really close to us. And, do you know, I was just thinking there today, you know, to see the, uh, the, the funeral cortege for Private Sean Rooney. Think about the families in Ukraine. And even in Russia, you know, uh, young men, young women being brought home for burial in their communities, in their villages, in their townlands. It makes me realise how awful war is, you know. Mm. 
and our, our new neighbours as well, of course, uh, because exactly. we we probably about seventy thousand Ukrainians uh, at this stage living in the country. Absolutely, you know, and it's amazing just here in Louth. Um, I was talking to the director of services of Louth County Council there just last week. They have, I think, sixteen hundred Ukrainian refugees have been help to find somewhere to live here in the county of Louth. It's something that this wee county, as they call it, has has punched way, way above its weight in terms of reaching out to help people. And I've I've seen that, I've witnessed that in families that I've met, um, you know, from places like Drumcar there, the old St. John of God place, uh, right through here to in, into Dundalk. Uh, there are many, many homes, many former uh, church buildings, religious houses, convents that have opened up now and are housing and given a loving home uh, to the Ukrainian refugees and I want to pay tribute to all of those who've been playing their part and I know there is still uh, an offer, a home initiative there and there's still an opportunity if people in the county and in this region want to offer their home or uh, maybe an empty home uh, that's not being used or a derelict building or a derelict home that might be capable you know, to make contact with the Red Cross, make contact with Life County Council and offer offer that. What a gift that is for Christmas time to be able to offer out a place to live, you know. There is no doubt that the 24th of February will be proven by history to have been the most significant date in the calendar year of 2022 with the invasion by Russia of Ukraine and how that's impacted on the lives of all of us uh, across uh, the world. It's a year, though, as well, Archbishop Eamon Martin, that uh, saw you in uh, a bit of controversy following a a UK Supreme Court decision uh, which said there is no obstacle uh, to making safe zones around uh, centres that are, uh, provide uh, abortion services. You feel that people should be able to protest at hospitals and GP clinics uh, and so on. Uh, the then Taoiseach, Michal Martin, uh, was asked about your views and said, well, hospitals are no place for protests. Uh, do you regret the statements you made in any way? Well, first of all, Michael, you know, I made this statement in solidarity with many people who believe that in, in a pregnancy we're talking about two lives and uh, wanting to respect all human life and wanting to pray uh, to be present and even to offer alternatives to vulnerable women who are perhaps struggling with their decision and maybe not entirely sure of what they want to do. I know that there are many, many peaceful and prayerful vigils happening at abortion centres. And the the statement I was making was, you know, make use uh, by all means of existing harassment laws and intimidation laws, which are there if somebody is going over the top and harassing and intimidating something, someone. But really what I was speaking about was, you know, allowing space in our society for all voices and for all views to be heard and to allow the voice of the innocent unborn child to be heard too. And um, I think that what I, I'm in no way condoning uh, some, some terrible acts that might have happened in some isolated places, but I do know that many of those who want to go down and pray, it's interesting, like over in Birmingham at the moment, 
There's a woman who is being charged uh, under a safe access, so-called safe access zone uh, law, um, and she's being charged just for standing there, you know, just for standing and, and, and praying, and not, not, not vocally, with no placards, no, no, no uh, harassment going on. So I think I was appealing on behalf of those. And also, I've met with women who have changed their minds, even at the very last minute. I have met with people who said they did so because they met someone who smiled at them and reached out to them just as they were going into the clinic. And I said, can I help you? Can I support you? And, and I really do feel that as a country, you know, to remember that there are two lives there. I know that the law might say one thing, but, you know, the law doesn't take away the human lives. The mother, and a mother who may be under an awful lot of pressure, sometimes desperate, feeling very isolated or neglected or alone, and maybe is open to someone saying, look, I can help you. I can I can give you an alternative to this. And uh, so, so, look, that, that was what I was doing. I wasn't trying to... To, to be awkward or whatever, but just speaking out and saying, listen, we're next. Do we, do we stop anyone speaking at any time about the fact mm. that two lives matter? Um, I think that was what I was trying to do. Okay. Uh, as we conclude uh, the year, uh, I wonder if I could ask you and uh, ask you uh, to be very brief uh, because we're almost out of time, if not over time. Um, if you have a, a message of hope for people listening this morning. Yeah, Michael, you know, <laughs> I heard the other day on the radio that. That Christmas hit, you know, from Band Aid way back in 1984. Do they know it's Christmas time at all? And it's really about people who are struggling and suffering and the importance of reaching out to them. And my message of hope is, inspired in many ways by that amazing mother this morning, you can bring joy and comfort and love into someone's life this Christmas. You can let them know it is indeed a time where we celebrate the Prince of Peace a God of hope, a God of love, a God of joy. So be messengers of hope to your friends, your family, your loved ones this Christmas. And God bless all your listeners this morning, Michael, and you too for all the work you do during the year. And keep you safe this Christmas and give you some of the joy and peace that Christ came to bring. God bless you and a happy Christmas to everyone. And happy Christmas to you and thank you indeed. The Primate of All Ireland, Archbishop Eamon Martin. Call Michael now, 041-983-2000. The Michael Reed Show, brought to you by AirGrid, managing and planning the national grid so that everyone has electricity when and where they need it. We'll return to Dundalk now. This time, though, we go to Aiken Barracks, where Pat O'Shaughnessy is on standby for us. Uh, good morning, Pat, and uh, thanks uh, for joining us. Uh, what can you tell us from Aiken Barracks now? Good morning, Michael. Um, well, it's extraordinary the amount of people who have actually turned up here under grey, blue skies, actually almost the colour of the UN berets that they wear. It's, 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 it's remarkable how the sky has turned almost that pale blue. But it's not remarkable how the people of Dundalk have turned out because we've seen this all too many times over the years. Back in 1989, Private Michael McNeely lost his life and was given full military honours. And then we saw with Garda... Adrian Donoghue and then again with Garda Tony Golden. There's something about the Irish psyche, as was spoken about in the homilies, that draws us out that when somebody dies in peacekeeping or dies on behalf of our country, 
there's something very special about us the way that we come out on the route here in the droves this morning and the precision that they're that they are seeing inside in the military barracks is extraordinary and something to behold but it's palpable when you speak to each individual that has come here this morning some with children in prams some with with um, people that are close to them and some on their own with flags and berets member of the ONE the organization of national ex-service personnel coming in their uniform which they wear with such pride and I, I think that's something that's probably unique to Dundalk in itself it's a garrison town Aikenbarris has always had a very special place, particularly in the north end of Dundalk, where, as you heard in the homilies there and in some of the interviews that took place on your show there, where young people always aspire to the military um, mm. or on Gordish Econa because of that, that garrison mm. link yeah. that we've had right back to the funeral cortege has arrived at the barracks now, has it? It has indeed, Michael. It has mm. just entered the barracks where service will take place inside. Inside there, there are members of the paramedics, member of the guard at Sea Corner and member of the fire services and all of the other ancillary services um, that help us in, in our everyday life. They're all present on the inside. There will be short service before this, the cortege makes its way to Donegal. And, um, what's the route? It, it, what's the route? People are asking uh, if uh, we can uh, uh, announce the route uh, so that they can pay respect. Uh, I think that would be welcomed as well, wouldn't it? It would indeed. Well, when they leave here in a short while, it will traverse up what's called the Point Road in Dundalk, and from the Point Road it will go up Barrick Street. From Barrick Street it will then join the Inner Relief Road or the bypass that goes under both names in Dundalk under a guard escort, and from there it will travel to the M1 via the Ballymac interchange uh, at Junction 18, and then it will travel along the M1 to Junction 17, and it will join the Castle Blaney Road, and from there it will go to Castle Blaney on its way to Donegal. So if anybody in our area wants to visit it, you can see it at, at any of those points. Mm. Um, it will be leaving the barracks here very, very shortly, after that short service, as we said. But there's a huge crowd here, and I've no doubt that people will want to offer their condolences and even be part of what is is, is a national mourning day and, and come out and pay their, their respects, Michael. Okay, thank you indeed, Pat, for that. That's our programme for today, indeed, uh, for this year as we break up uh, for the Christmas period. Maggie McGuire is already on our holidays. Chris Murray was in the control tower. And Brian had his feet on the ground, but he kept reaching for the stars. Happy Christmas. See you next year. We leave you in honour of Private Sean Rooney with his favourite song from Paolo Nutini, Last Request. Slow down, lie down, remember it's just you and me. Don't sell out, bow out, remember how this used to be. I just want you closer, is that all right, baby? Let's get closer tonight. Grab my last. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.